Welcome to the 322nd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. Oh, we had a great time with our fall webinar last week. We made an apple still cut oatmeal. We did a quinoa sweet potato kale Buddha bowl. We did pumpkin pancakes. We did a gingerbread. We did tofu, or I'm sorry, pumpkin seed encrusted tofu. So it was a great, great evening. Addie uh, was in for that. So it was the webinar was live from our Port Charlotte office, and we had a really good time. And I think people had some got some really good ideas of what to do for the fall because, again, like I told you last time or talked about last time, this is eating season, right? The beginning of eating season. Halloween is just around the corner. If you go in the grocery store, the aisles are packed with Halloween candy, um, a tremendous amount of Halloween candy. And really none of it's vegan, none of it's plant-based, most of it's milk chocolate, most of it has whey protein, lots of it oil, lots of sugar, right? So none of it is really good for you. Um, you know, there are vegan candies, uh, sweet tarts, and some of those, um, you know, jelly-type candies, I suspect, are, they are vegan, um, but, you know, the Hershey stuff and the Dove stuff, those aren't, aren't vegan, so if you're going to declare yourself plant-based, those are hard no's that you have to accept. A lot of people, you know, in the past, I know, you know, when I used to buy Halloween candy to give out, it was, you know, what do you like the best? What do you want to get stuck with? And of course, we all have memories, childhood memories of going trick-or-treating and what you used to get and what houses, you know, used to have the really good stuff. And, um, you know, I can remember coming home and taking the bag and, you know, kind of counting it and sorting it and looking through it. And it was a matter of like looking at it more than it was eating. It was never that big a deal for me. It was the act of going and trick-or-treating that was much more fun than actually eating the candy. And I think that, you know, that's not a bad way around it for kids. Um, you know, if you have a lot of trick-or-treaters, obviously, you know, when I was growing up, you know, people that gave out fruit, you were really worried about, um, you know, whether they put needles or knives in it or poisoned it, you know, and I guess that's still a thing unless people are going to next-door neighbor houses. But there are a few things I'd like to talk about, you know, that you can make if you're having a Halloween party for people that you know, as opposed to strangers coming to your door. You know, there are candied apples that you can make with date paste and decorate them with raisins and pumpkin seeds and, and sunflower seeds and do all kinds of fun things. You can make vegetable trays and fruit trays, um, you know, out of pumpkins. Of course, there's pumpkin chia pudding, uh, there's a whole host of things that you can do. You can make your own uh, energy bars as an idea for, um, you know, trick-or-treat bars for friends and, and family. Of course, gingerbread is great. Uh, pumpkin bread is great. There's all kinds of things you can do with your family at home. Kids coming to your door, it's kind of a different story. Um, you know, I, it's, that's a, it's a tough call. Um, you know, in the past, I've had cliff bars or some sort of, you know, little bar that's um, you, you know, fairly good. Nature's Valley makes or Nature's Way makes a fig type bar that are in packages. You know, those are some things that you can give to people that aren't tremendously bad. You might not be the best candy giver on the block, but you can have a conscious saying that you're not, um, you know, you're, you're not giving the stuff out that you wouldn't give to your own kids. 
I do think it's probably, um, you know, a discussion to have with kids as they get older as far as how do you responsibly eat things like that. Um, how do you, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about alcohol in, in, in a little bit. But I think when sometimes when you deny kids certain things, they end up wanting it more. And they're certainly exposed. They're going to be exposed to things when they go out. I think having the discussion as far as, you know, where dairy comes from, health, why we choose to eat the way that we do, it makes, you know, eating the other way not such a mystery that, that you know, kids need to get in and, and get all that they can. Um, if you have kids that are older and you became plant-based and, you know, they've already eaten the junk food, uh, you know, again, the conversation of why we're choosing not to do it and how you limit things, I think, is important. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world if a kid has, a, you know, a sweet treat, but you don't want the, you don't want the child to, um, you know, not be able to stop or have an abnormal relationship with food. So you, you got to be careful. Um, I, I think, you know, putting it in context, and establishing your own home traditions is, is always a good way around it. Um, we don't want to belittle, belittle other people's choice, but we want to be comfortable in our own choices. I wanted to talk a little bit today about motivation from within and motivation from others, because I think both are really important when it comes to obtaining ultimate health and wellness. I am a huge believer that we are a pack animal. Uh, we need to be together. We need to um, get energy from each other and give each other energy and positive feedback and positive motivation. I also think that there's a lot that we need to do when we're by ourselves to self-motivate and keep ourselves on track and not depend entirely on other people to be our moral or our nutrition compass, so to speak. One of the things as far as motivation from other people, uh, in the practice, we have a Facebook page, a private Facebook page, and, and we do wellness challenges and we do um, post recipes and, and post different encouraging uh, and, and have people post their food that they're eating. And, and I think that that is really good in that when people post what they, they've made and they played it and they're proud of it and other people chime in and give them feedback. I think that's a great opportunity to motivate other people and to get motivation from people. It's not secondary nature to a lot of people, you know, the age group of our practice and Facebook. It's not, you know, people, you know, you know, people talk about the lurkers, people that look but don't comment. You know, there's certainly a, a number of people that make comments. There are a lot of people that look and don't make content, comments. I don't think that um, they realize the potential to motivate others by making a positive comment or giving positive feedback. I think that that's really important when you're, when you're part of a group not only to, you know, look and see what other people are doing, but also to give positive feedback. I've been on some Facebook groups, you know, with my animals and, you know, people just really tear down people when they're, you know, not spot on on what they say, or they're always correcting or always, you know, what you could do this, or you could do that, or don't, don't do this, or how could you do that? I, I don't think that's the forum to do that. I don't think that helps anybody. Uh, 
but I think, you know, positive feedback when somebody posts a recipe or does a particular um, endurance, you know, they, they post what they've done, if they've done a race or something, I, I think that people can get a lot of good motivation from that. If nothing else, that know that you're not an island. And especially during COVID when, and, and in, in the plant-based community, people, you know, there aren't that many people that are plant-based and there may not be that many people that walk or run or do endurance activities in your area. So sharing those in a particular group, I think can be very helpful. We also have a, uh, you know, we've started plant-based striders uh, on Facebook. You don't have to be a member of the practice to, you know, log in and see what's going on the plant-based striders. And, you know, it's really difficult to keep it going, to get people to post and, and to keep up, um, you know, sharing, sharing what they've done. A lot of people feel that, well, they're showing off if they've done a big run or maybe did something that was, you know, extraordinary, or maybe they feel that it's not extraordinary enough. But it's just a matter of posting that, you know, hey, we're out here and we're trying you motivate a lot of other people. And I, I think that it's, um, again, I, I wish that we could get those groups going more uh, from a plant-based aspect of things and, and people would be less critical. I think people are afraid because they're going to be criticized sometimes or, or thought of as not being worthy enough. But I don't think that could be further from the truth. Um, I like to look at uh, various sites. I get motivation. I get motivation from uh, different ultra groups and what people have done and trails that they've they've run on. I like looking at uh, a particular Instagram site called Inflexible Yogis. I think that it's a great site and that they show um, the progression of a pose. For, so it starts out where you know people can hardly get into even part of the position, and then over the years they make it to finally they have this great pose that they've mastered. But they also show the steps along the way. So they're not afraid to show the struggle. And then they show how they went about doing it. And I think that's a good site for motivation to to see that other people struggle, but then they succeed if you keep working at it and it doesn't happen overnight. I think that's really important for everybody to understand is that when somebody looks a certain way or does a certain thing, it doesn't mean that they were born doing it or that they were good at it from the, the, the get-go. And we've all told our kids that, that you've got to practice and you've got to learn and you you know, you get better as you do things. But somehow, somewhere as an adult, we start to get squeamish about it. And if we're not good right up front, we don't want anybody to see our failures or our weaknesses. And, you know, I think that that's unfortunate because, again, a lot of people get motivation from other people's struggles. Nobody just wants to see the guy winning. They want to see how he got to that point. Um. I don't think it matters what age a group is. You can apply it to yourself. Um, you, you can adjust things for, for you. Um, Addie Delaney Minerich, you know, she does a lot of weightlifting. Her husband, Nathan, is a strength coach, and they're participating in a, um, a, a, an event called Squattober, which uh, there's a, a, a guy from Sorinex, which is a, a um, company that makes weightlifting equipment that puts out a workout every day for the month of October. And you can try it, and he encourages people to participate and put pictures up and show what they've done. There's another group that I look at, uh, Kelly Starrett, um, the Ready State, you know, that does different mobility things, and he puts up a progression, and he asks people to post in it. 
I think when there's a dialogue, when people are doing things together and a sense of community, even if you don't know the people, um, it, it can be a lot of fun and you can get a lot of mo- motivation. You know, I've decided to join in my own little version of the Squattober. Um, you know, I'm not going to be doing the weights of the young kids. I don't have, but, uh, but I'll be going and doing it. It, it holds my feet to the fire to do some of the activities that I wouldn't do. Uh, we do a wellness challenge every month. I try to follow those and check in because it becomes a motivation for me to do things and change things up and keep things fresh. So I would encourage you to, you know, utilize some of these groups to your to your benefit, but also give feedback so that you can motivate other people. It is important that you give feedback because your voice is encouraging to other people. Um, you know, it comes down to uh, you have to give a little bit to, you know, if you give a little, you tend to get a lot back. Um, if you're just looking to get, then chances are you're not going to get as much if you're not giving. And I think that, you know, most of life, most people know that are listening to that podcast, it, you, you get such a benefit of giving to others, whether it be your time or your resources or, again, just a little positive feedback makes a huge difference in somebody else's life and that energy comes back a hundredfold to you to motivate you to keep doing good things and you know example would be the 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 weight training or the running Um, a lot of people follow Strava and different things and give feedback to other people Uh, but you know nutrition is the same way when you see somebody that's made something that's good you know comment on it Uh, share some of your own recipes Uh, I think it's really important that, again, you, you motivate people and, and use that energy to keep you going. Because if somebody, you know, if you get to know somebody and you post something, then it gives you, put your feet to the fire a little bit to post something else or to show them how you're doing or, or perhaps keep up the weight loss journey that you're doing or keep up the exercise journey that you're doing. Um, there was a push-up challenge that I participated in. You nominate other people, and then, you know, it becomes good. You can do Garmin groups. You can do Fitbit groups. But I think that those groups can be very beneficial to people, even if they're not in person. Motivation from within is, is the mind games that we all have to play to get us out the door in the morning, to get one more mile, to get your exercise routine in, to challenge ourselves to do a little bit better, um, you know, imaginary um, people that you compete against, they don't have to be necessarily imaginary, but you know, I, I, you know, you see somebody that you don't know and they don't know you exist, but you may, you know, compete with them or, or want to be from, be like them or, um, draw energy from what their accomplishments are. You may have to bring the bar down a little bit from yourself or, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you can keep that bar really high and keep striving for it. But I think that that's important that, you know, you can always get better and there's always somebody out there that probably is a little bit better at you at eating or doing something, uh, or doing an endurance activity, but you can keep striving just to say that, uh, to give up is, you know, not going to get you anywhere or to say that it's not possible. It's not going to get you anywhere. I think a lot of people hang on to, you know, a story perhaps that's not necessarily true that really can be limiting. I've heard a couple stories this week that, um, you know, why, why people are 
failing to achieve things or are struggling because of a, you know, the story that they're potentially telling themselves. And while it's true, it's not a lie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not the whole story. And it's a perspective on, you know, a ton of things that have happened to them, but they hang on to a particular events and have weaved why they believe their life has went a certain way. And it continues to go that way because of the story that they've weaved, whether it's, I don't think I can ever be a normal body mass index, or these things always happen to me when I do this. I have a bad back. I have a bad knee. Uh, I'm not flexible. I can't run. I was told I never can do this. Um, can be very limited because you're hanging on to a story that, you know, is not the story that ends all, you know, that be all. There's people that do things that are very limited, but they do them in their own way. I've been posting my t-shirts and medals from marathons for years, but it wasn't until we changed this practice and had wellness challenges and had other people in the practice get to know each other and share their successes that now multiple people want to run a marathon, you know. 20 years of me putting posters up or 10 years of me putting posters up. Nobody ever did anything. But when, you know, you find out that other people can do it, that, you know, people like us do things like this, all of a sudden it's something that people have the courage to try. So um, you just have to get in your head that little story that if they can do it, I can do it. And, you know, these are the games that you play to get yourself out of the house, to, to make your own meals. Um, the rules that you put around what you eat. I don't think that scare tactics help at all. Um, I've had people that have had bypasses and they realize they have to change, but it's too hard. They don't, or maybe they change a little bit for a little bit of time, but then they don't, um, or they go back to their old ways. Once the fear of death or dying wears off, then they go back to their old ways. Um, you know, the fear that people, you have a strong family history doesn't even motivate people. So everybody around them can have an illness and it still doesn't motivate them because there's a little piece inside your story that's saying, yeah, but it happened to them, but it won't happen to me. Um, and so I don't think that fear is, is a good motivator at all. I think you have to come up with something else that really drives you that, that you really want in order to make the change and then work it until that story becomes you know part part of you i remember my first ever race it was a five mile bill's beer run around uh, halloween right before my first marathon my first marathon was in march so that would have been in october because when i decided i was going to run my first marathon i'd only been running three miles at the time but i read that you have to progress so you have to do you know a five mile race or three or five mile race and then a half marathon or maybe a 10k and then a half marathon and then you can do a full marathon that was a good way to progress so i signed up for my first race which happened to be a five mile run and and i don't remember the details probably when i signed up i thought 5k and five miles were the same thing you know i wasn't even thinking about it but nevertheless i show up for this five mile run and didn't know anybody else there. And I grew up a golfer. So I could look at people and I could tell by the way they were practicing on the practice tee, if they were good golfers, if they knew what they were doing, perhaps by their clubs, you know, the way they carried themselves or whatever. I, 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 could, I could pretty much size up a golfing opponent because that's what I had done most of, my, most of my life. That was my sport growing up for the most part. 
But when I showed up for this race, I felt really out of place. And I remember looking at people's feet and seeing their legs and seeing, you know, there wasn't golf shoes and they, you know, their short shorts on and their legs sticking out and the big calves and the thighs and, um, you know, muscular legs. And I thought, man, I, I am really out of my element here. You know, only if I only, you know, could see somebody's golf clubs or see their golf swing, I, I'd feel a lot more comfortable about, you know, doing this. And, you know, I didn't know much in the way of, you know, the rules or the etiquette or anything about it. And I took off and, you know, I ran the race and finished and, you know, talked to some people and it wasn't quite as bad. Then I signed up for a half marathon. And, you know, I still really didn't consider myself a runner because I was training for the marathon and that was going to be my event. So I wasn't a runner until I completed that task. And finally, you know, I made did a half marathon and that was hard. And I couldn't imagine doing a whole marathon after the half marathon. Um, and finally, you know, um, completed the marathon. And, you know, it, it was a sense that, you know, okay, I, I did it and I pulled it off and I had a good time. And now I want to grow from this and maybe get a little faster and do another one. And I, and I started identifying with you know, the, the lining up and running with the herd. I, you know, I, I, I had great joy from being around the masses of people and running with complete strangers and people cheering for people that they didn't know. I thought that was just such a great thing. And all the health that was around, you know, people trying to be healthy and what they were doing. And, um, you know, next thing you know, I was a runner, not a golfer anymore. And, you know, that progressed and ultimately, you know, a friend, talked me into doing a triathlon, and then one thing led to another, it was Ironman, and, you know, again, uh, until you complete the task, you say, well, you know, maybe that's not me, or that's not who I am, I used to say, I'm a runner, not a triathlete, you know, but after you did a few Ironman, it's like, well, yeah, I, I do triathlon, I'm, I am a triathlete as well, um, you know, you do an endurance event, and it's like, okay, I'm an ultra runner as well, after you've, you've completed the events, but, until you've, you know, you put yourself out there, but you're also drawing from other people, uh, the positive energy that you, that you have with them. So, you know, when it comes to nutrition, you know, getting around like-minded people is really, uh, important and being around people that are interested in health and eating that way. And, um, you know, you are who you associate with and that's, that can be very difficult when everybody around you is, is not, you know, not doing those things, but you have to find some positive energy in that group of people, um, whether they have a similar athletic, um, uh, likeness or, you know, some other hobby that there's a likeness that you draw from them, uh, and then have a, and then have another group that you can draw your nutrition from. But, um, you have to get energy from people and then you have to have that own, that own energy from within to say, you know, I really want to do this. I really want to make this, this goal. I had an older gentleman this week that, um, he wants to live to be a hundred and, but he's not really taking care of himself all that well. Um, probably has some pretty good genetics, but could do better. Um, also, you know, likes his, uh, sweets and other things. And even though he likes vegetables, he likes his other food as well. And it's difficult for him to stay true to a plant-based diet. His wife would like to, but he complains a lot to the point where she just kind of gave up. 
And he got to the point where he had an episode where he got very weak and, you know, his blood pressure was up and his sugars were up. And he got all the way to the point where he couldn't hardly get around the house and he was in a wheelchair. And he came in and he really was down in the dumps. He thought that, you know, maybe this is it. You know, I'm not going to make my my goal for my age that I want to make. And certainly if I can't make it in a way that I can get out and do things and work in the yard, then I just assume not, not live that long if I, you know, I'm going to be in a wheelchair and I can't do things. And so we had a talk and it's like, well, there's a lot of things you can still do. You know, we can change your nutrition and make things better and watch the salt and um, we'll change your medicines around and hopefully wean you off of insulin and, but you got to help me out here. You know, you got to eat what your wife prepares. You got to not moan about it. And we got to, you know, we got to replace, you love fruit. We got to replace the ice cream with fruit and do this and that. Well, the next thing you know, uh, and the other thing we did, we put him on insulin, um, and the medicine was expensive. So it was a little bit of a rub to the pocketbook, but the idea was if you get your diet under control, then we'll be able to wean you off of this insulin or at least, at least wean it way down. So it's more affordable. So the next thing you know, he comes in and his weight's starting to go down and, you know, fast forward, he comes in he's out working in the yard. He's pressure cleaning his deck and he's back to normal and his sugars are down and we're on a low, low dose of insulin and he's feeling good. And I said, what changed? And he didn't recognize. And I said, you know, he said, well, I'm out working more. I said, yes, but you couldn't go out and work for, work before. So what changed? And we kept going back and forth. I said, what are you eating different that all of a sudden that, you know, 80 some years of age that you've lost, you know, 10 pounds and, you know, your blood pressure is under good control and your legs aren't swollen anymore. What's changed? And he's like, well, uh, I'm eating more quinoa. And it's like, uh, you mean quinoa instead of rice? Well, yes. So are you eating less quinoa than you did rice? Well, yeah, probably. It's like, what else? Because that's not going to be it. It turns out, well, I was eating ice cream every night. So he was eating sugar-free ice cream. And if you've ever looked at sugar-free ice cream, it's very high fat. So he was eating sugar-free ice cream that was very high in fat. And he was eating cookies and crackers and all these other kind of things. And so he, he stopped that and his weight came down. He was able to get, you know, his energy came back. And, and it's like, well, I said, it's not, people want to look to, they move. They want to look to movement as being the cure. And, you know, it's not the, it's the nutrition. It comes back to what you eat is how you're going to feel is what you eat. Uh, you'll never walk your way into feeling great if you feel bad. So um, the nutrition is key. It has to be a vital role. The exercise is very helpful, but it's the nutrition. And so finally we was able to, you know, I was able to pin him down. It's like, it's the ice cream, the crackers, the cookies that you've given up and you've started eating more healthy food that has allowed you to do more and get out and be more active. Um, had the same thing with another person, you know, they hadn't lost any weight at all, you know, just, uh, drifted down and finally changed the way they're eating and weight started falling off. And so, you know, I've heard Dr. Esselson say, you know, if the weight's not falling off, then people aren't really paying attention to their nutrition. It is calories in and calories out, but it has to be a steady, concerted effort. It has to be a day in and day out effort. And people do feel better and they get a tremendous positive boost from being able to accomplish that. But you got to do that in your head first. You've got to have, you know, the, the day by day little mind games to get yourself to the point where things start to move forward and then 
the motivation starts to come easier from within. And until then, you know, you use some motivation from uh, on the outside. But again, uh, you got to play the games. And like Dr. Bolte Taylor will say, you've got to you've got to develop a circuit uh, and a story that is congruent with your health goals and your life goals of what you want to do. You know, again, just wishing that you would, you know, it would magically happens. It's not going to really, really happen. I talk a lot about running and endurance events. And um, there was a study done uh, that was just published looking at um, cycling and the, um, the Journal of uh, Journal of American Medical Association looked at um, cycling with all-cause and cardiovascular disease mortality uh, among people with diabetes. And they took the people from the European Perspective Investigation into Cancer Nutrition Studies called the EPIC study. And they looked at people with diabetes um, that cycled. And they found that there was uh, at least a 24% lower... <laughs> all-cause mortality rate compared with people that didn't, I'm sorry, cycle. And if people took up cycling for a five-year period, there was actually a 35% decrease in all-cause mortality um, compared to consistent non-cyclists. And, you know, it was somewhat of a smaller study or smaller cohort, but it didn't really matter how much. And excessive amounts were actually seen to maybe be a little bit more uh, or, or less uh, beneficial. And again, uh, there's a lot of skewing as far as data collection and, and things of that nature. But just getting out and cycling on a regular basis showed uh, a profound benefit. There were 7,459 people with diabetes that were included. The average age was 55.9 years, uh, about half for women. And Compared to a reference group, um, you know, the, the people that cycled more than zero did, did better. So, again, that's a good thing to take up cycling. When they looked at, again, more people, the higher amount of cycling, you know, different confounding variables started to interfere and made that uh, a little bit more difficult to look at. But um, basically, they looked at um, from zero to 300 or more minutes per week in cycling. Exercise is important. Exercise on a consistent basis is important. So, you know, a little bit every day is very beneficial to get into the habit of doing something. You know, a lot of people will go two or three days, they'll get too sore, then they won't go for another three or four weeks, or they'll lay off for, you know, four or five days, and then they don't pick it up for another six months, you know. So make it realistic. And pick a, you know, pick a small, doable amount of time. Pick a time of the day where other things don't seem to get in the way and block that part out for your exercise routine, whether it be, again, cycling, swimming, walking, running, dancing, whatever. But make that a routine that you do every day that becomes part of your story. I get sent a question about alcohol and atrial fibrillation, and there was a study in Science News that was a very small study uh, with just um, a couple hundred people, 100, 100 patients with documented atrial fibrillation who had one alcoholic drink a month. Uh, they were recruited, and they wore an EKG monitor, and they even had 
um, a, a sensor that would detect their alcohol level and they appear periodically had blood tests looking at alcohol consumption and they found that um, even one drink was associated with um, a two times higher risk of an atrial fibrillation episode and two or more drinks a threefold higher increase in atrial fibrillation episode. Atrial fibrillation is when the top chamber of the heart quivers at 300 beats per minute and the bottom chamber tries to keep up. Typically, people have elevated heart rates, you know, in the range of 150 to 160. Um, and it's the most common arrhythmia that there is. It is primarily associated with high blood pressure. It's associated with sleep apnea, COPD, uh, any kind of pulmonary disease. It's associated with valvular heart disease. And the question over the years is what exacerbates it? What causes it to occur? Because in early on, it kind of comes and goes before it becomes chronic in some people. And uh, people will say that, you know, caffeine drives it. And, you know, people have been told maybe don't drink coffee or alcohol, you know, because alcohol can be very toxic to the heart. And the question is how much alcohol? We know that people that drink a lot during the holidays, it's called holiday heart, heart syndrome. Not only do the heart muscle deteriorate and function, but it can, you know, lead to arrhythmia. So alcohol is certainly toxic on, on the heart. This study would suggest that a lot lower level is potentially toxic than what we once thought in people that already had arrhythmias. Um, very small study. You know, you have to look back and say, okay, where, what, what is the baseline? How long have these people had atrial fibrillation? What are the other triggers? Um, you know, other confounding things. But, you know, nevertheless, alcohol is toxic to all parts of the body if consumed in excessive amounts of uh, a quantity. And if people are compromised in any way, then little amounts can, can cause problems. Um, you know, I take that same, same approach to people that are already, already have any lifestyle disease. They don't have the wiggle room to imbibe in activities that a much younger person could get away with, so to speak. You know, your metabolic, your, your garage, your, your cellular, your cellular um, damage has occurred and accumulated and you don't have that much wiggle room. So three days being good and two days being bad doesn't really fix anything. So people have to be, you know, much more aware of what, what they're doing. And I think that's with anything, you know, again, whether you're trying to prevent cancer or the re recurrence of it, um, the more risk factors you have, certainly if you've already had cancer, the more you have to dial up your game a notch, you, you know, to combat some of these lifestyle diseases. And we have people with high blood pressure that just avoiding salt and eating some greens doesn't do it. They have to look at their autonomic nervous system and start to make changes there. People that have high cholesterol that aren't very heavy. And so where are the, what's the problem? You know, they don't tolerate much. You have strong family history. You don't have that much wiggle room. So I think, you know, atrial fibrillation is, is certainly like that as well. If you have a heart that's irritable, alcohol is certainly going to make it worse. Um, it's not in 100% of people. We know the blue zone, people that lived in the blue zone that lived to be well into their hundreds, a lot of those people had, a, you know, a drink a day or, you know, a, um, you know, they would have some alcohol. But again, 
they also selected themselves out for being older. So they lived a healthy lifestyle. They were still healthy well into their hundreds, even though they, you know, they they didn't overdo or overcrowd their cells with debris to the point where they already had diseases. So they 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 continued to be healthy and, you know, I guess you know, one might say that, you know, some people tolerate a little bit of insult. Some people don't tolerate much insult at all. And certainly people that have cardiovascular disease at a young age, um, you have to be very, very careful. You know, uh, if somebody has made it into their 80s and they don't have any problems, then, you know, uh, they're standing the test of time over some things. And, you know, I, I, I think dosages is different for people in different sizes. Um um, with anything. So, uh, you take it with a grain of salt. Alcohol is toxic. That's definite. You can pickle, you know, we, we, from, you know, formaldehyde and we pickle things with alcohol. And, um, so, uh, too much of anything is harmful. How much is acceptable is very individual. And again, I, I think that's, you know, something that we should, you know, hit on again and again and again, that one, is not necessarily right for everybody. You know, we have to individualize this. We can't do a protocol for the whole human race. There are variations in what is good for some people and not as good for others, or what some people will tolerate and some people won't. And we, we can't really extrapolate that. You have to do the best you can do for you. There was another study published this week that looked at statin therapy and the progression of diabetes, and they found um, that um, those taking statins, 56% saw a progression of their diabetes compared with 48% of those not taking statins. And the higher the dose of statin, the more the diabetes progressed and to the point of needing insulin. And, you know, the researcher said that's not a reason not for people not to take statins. Uh, it is a reason for people to um, perhaps look at other, you know, other risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So if they take statins, you know, uh, in light of smoking, blood pressure as well, those things need to be, be controlled for and that you can treat glucose and maybe it's better to take a statin and get diabetes and take medicine for your diabetes than to have a heart attack because you have vascular disease from high hyperlipidemia. I'd have to disagree with that. Um, you know, that analysis, I think that, you know, diabetes is basically in adult onset diabetes is the inability of glucose to get into the cell. Um, the receptor is blocked and the receptor is blocked with fat. Therefore, your pancreas has to put out more insulin, and insulin is really the bad player. Insulin drives the production of inflammatory compounds, interleukins. Um, it drives um, cancer-causing tumor necrosis factors, other proteins that increase the risk of cancer. It drives blood vessel growth uh, and, and inflammation. So just having an increased glucose or controlling the glucose another way doesn't take away the basic problem with diabetes and that there's too much insulin around and the insulin is a bad player. So I think you really have to think hard because all of these conditions are, again, treatable with nutrition. 
and dietary modification and exercise. So you can get rid of your diabetes and your high cholesterol by diet and exercise in the majority of people. So, um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in my practice trying to get people off their diabetic or their off their statin medications as well as their diabetic medications. And for the most part, we can do that. And I think to keep people on a statin just because they're at risk and drive their cholesterol, you know, down to 90 or 100, I think that's overkill. Uh, I think you're more likely to do harm than good. There's always a downside from giving medication to artificially lower a number. There's always going to be a backside. So uh, again, diet and nutrition always wins as far as risk factor modification for cardiovascular disease in my book. Unfortunately, in medicine, we have a tendency to flog an organ to make it produce more. You know, most of diabetic medications are, you know, to aimed at the pancreas to put out more insulin or aimed at the liver to produce less glucose when we're really not addressing the problem, which is, you know, nutritional and why we have the problem in the first place. And, you know, I think it's a good lesson to learn that if you flog the pancreas over time to put out more insulin, it ultimately fails and quits producing insulin at all. And then people have to take insulin for the rest of their lives. If people have a really bad heart and we give them medicine to kind of flog the heart to beating harder, then the heart tends to um, secrete factors, adrenaline-like factors that cause the heart to actually get worse quicker. So anytime we flog the body, and I'm going to turn this to the immune system, if we flog the immune system to produce more and more antibodies to more and more different things, at what point is the immune system not going to participate when we really need it? And so people... You know, I think we're learning through some of the studies that are out there that people that are immunocompromised aren't really having a strong antibody reaction to the vaccine, partly because their immune system has already been damaged. And so by flogging it more, are we really doing them any favors? So if you, again, go back to one size fits all, it's just not true. And I think that you have to, when you look at your neighbor and when you start looking at people, have you been vaccinated or haven't you been vaccinated, you don't know the backstory and you don't know their individual needs. And certainly a pharmacist who is not a patient's doctor and cannot prescribe or treat or doesn't even know the patient other than their insurance card, your neighbor doesn't know you or your background. So... I believe that people should be treated according to their needs and their problems and be individualized as opposed to one-size-fits-all medicine. And that's how we practice it at, you know, in, in our membership group. It's not one-size-fits-all. It's not a protocol that we plug everybody into. Uh, everybody's different. Everybody comes with their own set of stories and problems that's unique to them, their own mindsets. And... We have to be able to meet people where they are and help them to get well accordingly 
to their own speed that they need to get, you know, and, and, and their abilities and um, individualize their therapies according to their wants and needs. You know, whether you want to live to be 100 or you want to live five years and make it really good or you want to burn out like a candle in the wind. It's your choice. It's always your choice. And so I'm going to leave you with this, that your medical care should be individualized for you and you only, and you should be your own advocate for your own health care. And you should always ask why, and is this going to be good for me or if this isn't going to be good for me. And a do-what-I-say approach is something that went out in the 50s. So um, be your own healthcare advocate. Get out and cheer somebody else on. Give some positive feedback to other people on some of your groups that you belong to. Interact with others because there's no better way to get positive energy than interacting with other human beings. Be kind to each other. Uh, you never know what trouble somebody else has behind the curtain. So um, be supportive, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more about our practice, go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com. We'd love to have you as a member. Uh, you can look at look again uh, social media. I'm Jamila Delaney. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram. We also have plant-based striders if you'd like to get some motivation from that group. And we'd love to see you in March at the Treasure Coast Marathon to run with us. Uh, That would be really cool. Uh, Also be running several races in Texas. So I hope to see you out there sometime. Thanks for listening.